All right. So this morning is going to be our last message in this Growth Stories series. Um, and uh, we kind of talked about these things about how, like, Jesus comes to parables in different ways, okay? And, and he, he's, like, led into these parables in, in all kinds of different ways. Generally, though, he is speaking to uh, his disciples when he gives these parables. Now, sometimes he'll speak to the crowd, and the crowd hears it, but really he's kind of, like, the crowd's here, and he's kind of turning and talking to his disciples, okay? And he tells them this story. Um, well, we have a situation this morning. We're going to go to Luke chapter 12, and it's kind of a similar situation. If you, if you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it starts out with this. It says, under these circumstances, and those circumstances are basically uh, that the Pharisees are getting mad at him, right, and starting to, like, find ways to, you know, we're going to plot against him kind of a thing. But under these circumstances, after uh, so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, that's a lot of people, not even room to stand. They are stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples first. That's interesting, right? So many thousands of people are gathered, but he's not talking to them. He's talking to his disciples. So everybody else is kind of gathered around. Everybody else is kind of eavesdropping, but he's talking to his disciples and he's teaching them and he's, he's, he's going through all kinds of different stuff. Um, but that's the circumstances of this, Okay. What comes next? And here's what comes next. So if you look in verse 13, Luke chapter 12, verse 13, it says this, in that crowd. Now someone in the crowd, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, now someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, you there, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over the two of you? But he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one is affluent does his life consist of possessions. And he told them this parable. So we get into the parable. He told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones, larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. So Jesus... Is, is teaching his disciples, right? He's teaching this, this thing. Um, and, and he's saying things like, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees for its hypocrisy. Don't be afraid. Uh, you know, if, when they come at you, if, if, you know, what they're gonna do to your body, they can't take your spirit, all right? And, and he's, he's teaching his disciples. And somebody from the back of the crowd kind of goes, yeah, 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 all right, all right, all right. Let's get something practical here. Hey, tell my brother to stop being greedy right? From the back of the crowd. It has nothing to do with what Jesus is teaching on. Look at it. Look at the context of his teaching and what, and he's teaching his disciples and somebody from the crowd who he's not really talking to, but who is there and who's kind of eavesdropping says, hey, tell my brother not to be greedy. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe he's thinking this guy has some authority. He'll fix this. He'll fix my brother, right? He'll fix this thing. Um, it's kind of like 
seeing a Hall of Fame basketball coach take his team to a public park, all right? And he's, he's going through, I'll just say Coach Cal, all right? I don't, is he in the Hall of Fame yet in Basketball Hall of Fame? I don't know. Shashevsky, all right, so Shashevsky. We'll go Duke instead of, <laughs> instead of UK. It doesn't matter who it is, all right? There's a coach with his players on this public court. You're telling me if Calipari or Shashevsky is at a park in Lexington and he's got his players there, there's gonna be a crowd, right? Because, I mean, all these guys... A lot of these guys are going to be in the NBA next year, the next two years. They want to see what's going on. They want to see how this coach works with his players and how he, he guides them in this process and teaches them all these things. So, I, so they gather together. So there's a crowd gathering around watching this. And if it's Coach Cal, he's saying, you know, here's how you, here's how you do the dribble drive offense, right? He's not too worried about foul shots because, well, you know, Kentucky's not been very good at foul shots. Sorry, maybe you don't know that. They, uh, They've lost many games just because of foul shots. But anyway, he's not worried about that, but he is worried about dribble drive offense, making sure his thing is, is happening there, right? Um, and people are watching and people are amazed, like, oh, I didn't know that's how, how that would work. Like, he's, he's going through his thing. And somebody from the back of this crowd goes, yeah, yeah, hey, cow, can you teach my kid how to throw a fastball? Like, what? Throw a fastball. Cal Shusevsky is not there to teach baseball, right? That's not what he's there for. He's there to teach basketball, and it's his players that he's working on. He's not working on, on your kid throwing a fastball. This guy kind of takes this, this, this situation hostage, and he's like, hey, you can do something about my brother. He's being greedy, and he's holding, my, holding the inheritance for himself. And Jesus kind of responds like, listen, you there. I like how he says that. You there. Who appointed me judge or arbiter over you and your brother? So essentially he's like, uh, excuse me? Why would I do that? That's not what I'm here for. Who appointed me for that? I'm not, I'm not here for that. And then he says, but since you want to ask about greed, let's talk about greed. Beware of all kinds of greed, okay? Be, be, beware against every form of greed because even when somebody has a bunch of stuff, your life is not made up of stuff. It's almost like if you were back in that scene of Coach Cal and somebody's like, hey, teach my kid to throw, throw a fastball. Coach Cal would be like, what? I'm not here for that. But if you want to know how to throw a fastball, you just got to make sure you hold the grip right. You got, remember, the power comes from your, from your legs, come from your lower half, um, and you want to just guide that pitch in there. It's like, it, it, he's, he's, he's not there to do that, but hey, by, by the way, while we're on the subject, let me give you a pointer here about this thing, okay? Let me give you a pointer. So Jesus takes this moment where he's not really addressing this subject, but somebody brings it up, and so he says, well, while we're, while we're talking about this kind of a thing, um, let's, uh, let's, let's figure this out. I'm not really here to, to decide your family arguments, uh, maybe some of us could learn that a little bit from that, from Jesus. He didn't come to, to solve our family arguments. Um, but let's, let's address it while we're talking about it, right? Let's, let's, let's talk about this thing. So he says, beware of all forms of greed because your life is not made up of the things you have. So Jesus starts this parable or he starts this teaching which leads to the parable by saying, by talking about greed. Jesus starts off the parable by talking about greed. That's the thought that brings him here. 
Beware of all forms of greed. Now, he goes from that into this parable, right? He goes into this parable about greed. Well, there was a, one, there was a guy whose, whose field was very productive. And uh, that means it produced lots of crops for him. More crops than he even had room to store. So what does he do? Well, he decides, well, I'm going to store all my crops, so I got to tear down my barns. My question is, why would you tear down all your barns and not just build an extra barn? But he says, you know what? I'm going to build bigger barns. So I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so that I have room to contain this bounty that I've been blessed with, right? I've got all of this stuff. So he tears down his current barns. He builds bigger ones so he can keep everything. And according to Jesus, in the parable, the guy says, so that I can say to myself, you have many goods stored up for years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. I've had a good harvest, and it's going to last me a long time, so relax and enjoy it. And in the parable, God says to this guy, you fool, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning. You did all that work. Now who's it going to be for? Now who owns it? Now what's going to happen to your stuff? Who's going to get it now? Not you. So what good did it do you to gather all that stuff? So Jesus takes this crowd or this question from the crowd that interrupts his teaching, and it's a very specific question to tell this man's brother what to do. And he broadens it to this subject of greed. And he starts off by saying, beware of all forms of greed. Now, my question is, what, what are the forms of greed? Like, what are we talking about? How, how can we, what, what are the many forms of greed? And if I look at this parable or I look at this situation of Jesus teaching and the parable that he teaches with, I see two forms of greed. There's the guy that wants more stuff because he's saying, tell my brother what to do with the inheritance. So that's, I, I, I want more stuff. And then there's the guy in the parable who has stuff, but he wants to keep it. Two forms of greed, right? I want more stuff and I have stuff, but I want to keep it. Two forms, okay? That's what I see. And Jesus says, so beware of those two kinds of greed. So beware of all forms of greed. Now, with a teaching like this, what we normally hear, what we normally do, and what probably is happening in this crowd is we hear this and we take it and say, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy, right? God doesn't want you to be greedy. Greed is a sin. Don't do it. And so our response is, okay, I'm not going to be greedy, right? I'm going to go about my business and not be greedy because God doesn't like it. So I can have stuff, but not too much stuff. Well, how much is too much stuff? I don't know, but we can't have too much, right? I don't want too much stuff. And, and we look at the, this guy and we say, wait a minute, isn't this guy, isn't it right that his inheritance should be divided to him? Like, isn't that what should happen? So he says, he's asking for it. Um, so it's right, but um, you shouldn't ask for it. It's right that you should have it, but you shouldn't ask for it because that might be greedy, right? And we, and we take this and we're like, greed, greed, all right, I don't want to be greedy. Um, and so we take this teaching or any number of teachings that Jesus teaches and we start this weird cycle of behavior. Like we want to do it, but we don't want to do it. And we want to make sure we're doing it right. And we don't, have, we don't want to be too greedy or we want to have stuff, but we don't have too much stuff. And all, it's like this weird cycle of behavior. And why do we focus on that? Because Jesus said, don't do it, right? Well, 
The question is, did Jesus really say don't do it? He didn't say don't do it. He said, beware of it, right? Beware of it. Be on your guard. When you look at the Greek word for beware or the Greek word for to be on your guard, to, if you say beware, the Greek word says to see. It's this, the, excuse me, the phrase means to see, to look for, to perceive. Or the Greek phrase be on your guard, it means to observe, to beware, to keep watch. So Jesus isn't saying just don't do it. Jesus is saying, be on the lookout for it. Heads up. If, you got, if, if this is going on, be alert. Something, something is happening here, okay? Because your life is not made up of possessions. In other words, you're made for more than gathering stuff. You're made for more than gathering stuff. In other words, from that other words, greed is taking action on the understanding that your stuff is all there is, or it's the main point of your existence. Like the physical is the main point of your existence, okay? That's what greed is. Greed is taking action on that and behaving that way. So Jesus starts out by warning against greed, but listen, this parable is not about greed, even though that seems to be the main subject. It's not about greed. And I believe that because of Jesus' statement. He says, beware, pay attention to, be on the lookout for greed. Why? Because even those who are affluent, those who have all the stuff that they could want, understand that life is not about possessions or we'll find out that life is not about possessions. See, this parable is Jesus saying that greed is a symptom of a larger problem, okay? Greed is a symptom of a larger issue. So be on the lookout for greed because greed in your life is telling you that something else is not quite right. Not quite there. Greed is a symptom. Greed is a thing that should tell you, whoa, right? Take a step back. What's, what, what's going on here? Take a step. My, something's out of whack. In me, in my life, in my perspective, in my understanding, I'm missing something. So pay attention, beware, okay? Be on the lookout because I've got something that I haven't quite gotten figured out yet. Greed is the symptom that is pointing to something bigger. Now take that into the medical world. Headaches, simple, headaches, right? Headaches generally are a symptom of something bigger that's going on. They don't just crop up on their own. Something causes a headache, okay? Your body is telling you something's off, something's not right. I get headaches pretty regularly, okay? And I can tell you the reason for my headaches. I drink way too much coffee and not enough water. That's the truth. I'm dehydrated. That's why I get headaches, right? I, 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 the, the coffee dehydrates me and I don't replenish it with water. All right. Now, I got a headache. I can do something about that headache. I can pop an ibuprofen. I can pop a Tylenol and the headache goes away. The symptom's gone, but the issue is still there. I still don't have enough water in my body, okay? I still don't have, I, I still have a situation where if I continue on this path, I mean, my organs are gonna shut down because I don't have enough water, right? Dehydration is a serious issue. So I can take some medicine to get rid of the symptom, 
and still have serious issues in my body that my body's trying to tell me I need to address, okay? The truth is though, if I take the medicine, I can overlook that symptom. I can move on past it. I can overcome it. I can push it aside because I've taken steps to alleviate the symptom. But the truth is I still got a problem, okay? Still have a problem. This is the problem with behavior-based Christianity. Jesus says, beware of being greedy. God doesn't like it. That's what we hear, right? God doesn't like it. And so we see that and we go, okay, I got an issue. I got greed. I need to deal with my greed. And so uh, I take practical steps in my life to eliminate greed. I make a giving plan. I budget, uh, in my budget, half of my monthly, my monthly income, I designate it towards this, this ministry and, and this ministry and this, giving it to the homeless. And I stick with that. I give half my stuff away because I think I should do that, right? Rather than keeping it for myself. And we look at this parable or something like it and we say, well, isn't that the point of this, right? Don't be greedy. So I'm gonna make a plan, practical steps to not be greedy. I volunteer to give my time generously. I address the greed. The problem is that's taking a Tylenol or an ibuprofen and relieving the symptom or removing the symptom. But Jesus is saying, there's something deeper that needs to be addressed with this. You've taken a Tylenol, you've eliminated the symptom, but you've missed the deeper thing wrong or the deeper thing going on. And that I believe is exactly what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, almost his whole ministry. Let's go to Matthew 23, the woes, all right? The woes where he's talking to the Pharisees. And there's a lot of them here. But he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside, outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's saying there's a deeper issue. The Pharisees were great at fixing outward symptoms. They were good at it. They had laws to make sure they were good at it, right? They, they made it happen. They could be generous on the outside because they had a really great flesh ability to do so. But the inside issue that was driving the greed is still there. That's what Jesus is saying. You're still on the inside. He said, there's something not right. You're still, it's still not there. Yes, you're addressing the outside. Yes, and that's what the hypocrisy part of it is. He's like, listen, you're, you're doing the thing, but, but you missed, okay? So he says, beware of greed. Be on the lookout for it. Check yourself when you see it cropping up because if there's some kind of greed going on, the greed is not the thing that you need to be worried about. Sure, it's a thing that hinders you, but the real issue that is holding you back is the thing that's driving the greed. Be on the lookout for greed because greed is a symptom of the fact, here it is, that you haven't yet reconciled the truth that your life is more than physical. 
Your life is more than a physical experience. It's more than providing for yourself. Your life is more than providing for yourself physically. Your life, your real life, is spiritual. Okay? The real you. There's a spirit that is created and designed for relationship with God. And the fact that you're still in this mindset that you gotta have this or you gotta keep that or you gotta protect that or you gotta provide for yourself in this, that means there's a, that's the symptom and it's pointing to the issue that you haven't reconciled the truth that you're more than the physical experience that you have right now. You are a spirit that was created for relationship with God. You are spirit first. Your life is not your possessions. Your life is not your physical provision. Your life is not the physical. And this need to always have more or keep more is a symptom pointing to the fact that the uh, pointing to the real issue. And you can stop you can try and stop the symptoms by programs and principles, but the deeper issue is the problem. Your understanding, your perspective that this physical world is more important than the spiritual world is the problem. And we can, say, we can ask, okay, if Jesus, he goes to greed. When you look at this, this guy says, hey, uh, you know, would, you, would you tell my brother to share my inheritance? I look at that statement and I'm like, where's the greed? I don't see greed in that. Do you see greed in that? Well, maybe his brother is being greedy, but I think Jesus is not interacting with the brother. He's interacting with this guy. So maybe it's, he's, I think he's saying this guy has got some greed going on. And when I look at that statement, I'm like, where's the greed? He just wants what really is his. But Jesus knows what's going on, right? So why doesn't he solve the issue of the greed then? Why doesn't he just tell the guy, hey, don't be greedy. <laughs> Stop it. Don't be greedy. Because he came for a greater purpose. I didn't come to solve your family issues or the things that are even causing the family issues. I came for the bigger issue. Why doesn't he just say, God doesn't like it when you're greedy, don't be greedy, stop it. Because there's a greater thing that needs to be addressed. As a parent, you can teach your kids to be generous. You can teach your kids to be generous on the outside. But if you don't fix the internal issue, You've not done anything, right? It's stopping the headache and missing the fact that you need water or your organs are gonna shut down. It's a symptom of the bigger problem. Moralism and behavior-based Christianity wants to fix the symptoms. It wants to stop the sins. It wants to act right without fixing the other problem, the real problem. In this parable, Jesus addresses this particular deeper issue when he says in verse 20, if I can get back there. He says, after he's done telling this parable, he says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you've prepared, who will own it now? Is all that energy, all that effort, to provide for yourself, to make sure you're okay uh, in the physical, to make sure that you, you've got a nice cushy uh, uh, living as you, as you go about your life. All of that work, if you're gonna tear down barns and build bigger ones, 
<laughs> what good is it doing now, right? What good is it now? All that stuff that you use to protect yourself, now what has it done for you? You focused on your physical comfort, but you neglected your real need. Verse 21, he says, such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. Relation, relationship. Jesus starts off this thing by warning against greed, but this parable is not about greed. It's about the fact that you have a greater need than anything you could ever meet by hoarding for years and years, all the food that you could possibly need for the rest of your life to have your own, for, for your own comfort. And it's a need that exists no matter how much you gather to try and protect yourself. In fact, the reality that you feel a need to try and protect yourself or to sustain yourself or the fact that you feel a need to gather more stuff is pointing to the, pointing to the fact that you haven't gotten that yet. You haven't figured out that other need yet. You're poor in relationship to God, he says. You've gathered all these things and you're rich physically, but you are poor spiritually. Let me point it out again. Fixing the symptom does not resolve the disease. So while Jesus is saying, greed's not a good thing, it's not gonna lead to good stuff in your life, what he's really saying is, greed is born out of a lack of rich relationship with God or a perspective that helps you understand the relationship with God that you can have. So this symptom is present in your life because the thing that you were created for was neglected. This parable is about your purpose in life. Life does not exist or consist of possessions. The purpose of your existence is not to gather things. The purpose of your life is a growing relationship with the Father. So beware, be on the lookout for greed, for always needing more things, for needing to hoard, for needing to protect yourself from the physical world because it might be a symptom that something's off. Might be a symptom that's telling you your perspective is not aligned with what God says or that you're neglecting even the thing that you were created for. In the parable, God says to this man, he says, you fool. What was foolish about his actions? His actions were foolish because he was running around wasting his time and his energy on stuff that's not doesn't matter. Because what really matters is on the spirit and relationship with the Father. That's what really matters. He's going around trying to sustain himself. And that's foolish because barns full of food can't sustain you. See that? When you understand that you are first spirit, and you were meant for a spiritual relationship with God, barns worth of food don't sustain you. And if you go on and you look at the rest of this, this teaching from Luke chapter 12, it sounds, it's real familiar all of a sudden. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, for this reason, I tell you, don't worry about your life as to what you are to eat or what, or, or, or nor your body as to what you are to wear. For life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. 
Consider the ravens. They don't reap or sow, and yet God feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field. Aren't they more beautifully clothed than even Solomon in all his splendor? Your life is more than what you are experiencing in the physical realm. You are primarily spirit. And getting caught in this, the, the, the physical stuff, it distracts us from the need that we have, the real need that we have. The real need for a vibrant relationship with God. That's our real need. That's the thing that will sustain us. And by the way, he's done everything to make that possible. He's done everything necessary to give it to you. So it's not about, uh, it's not about trying. It's not about you, you putting all your effort. Okay, God, I'm gonna have a vibrant relationship with you. So now I'm gonna read and I'm gonna study and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna... Oh, we're back to it, aren't we? We're back to it. Resting in the reality of a relationship with the Father. That's what we're talking about. And there's a place for talking, there's a place for prayer, there's a place for communion, resting, experiencing his presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a place for reading scripture as a, as a way that God communicates to us, with us. But we can read Luke 12 again and we can say, okay, Jesus, I'm not gonna worry. You said, don't worry. Okay, I'm not gonna worry. So stop worrying. But now we're focused on another symptom, Right? And as long as you're trying to focus on putting out one of the fires, one of the symptoms, whether that be worry or anxiety or, or greed or anger or lust, which is what we typically go to, right? We try and put out these fires, these sin fires. As long as we're trying to put out those fires, we're focusing on stopping the symptoms and that means we're just going to be chasing our tail for the rest of our lives, right? It's kind of like whack-a-mole. Hit one down, boop, pops another one, right? You knock it down, whoop, and here's another one. Something else pops up. Oh, got to dress that. Oh, got to stomp it out, stomp it out, right? We're stomping out all these things and we're chasing it and we're neglecting the real thing, which is relationship with our God. Because we're so focused on the symptoms that we're not seeing there's a bigger issue that we're missing. And that is that we really... What we really need is relationship with God. And guess what? When we focus on the relationship and resting and embracing our identity and who he's made us and what he's done, and we get to rest in him and explore his incredible uh, uh, wisdom and wonder and we're in awe, those little fires kind of put themselves out because that's not a need for us anymore. You tell me a sin Give me a sin that is not about fulfilling a need in your life. They don't exist. Whether it's a need for protection or it's a need for attention or it's a need for love or it's any, like their, their sin is, is a symptom of us trying to fulfill a need somehow. And when we can see the deeper need, the symptoms start to fade away because we're not, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have that symptom anymore to try and meet that need, to fix that problem. Because the real problem is relationship with God and being established and fit in relationship with him. And the symptoms start to die out. There's no more fuel for them because the need is the fuel that drives the symptom. And there's no need because we're resting in relationship with our God. That's 
the real need that we have. I don't know where I am now. But you see how this works, right? A growing relationship with God is the only way to actually solve any of those issues. Because the sin, hear this, the sin is not the problem. The sin is not the problem. It's the symptom. And if it's not one thing, it'll be another. And we can go through our life chasing our tail. The sins, the actions, are the symptoms of the deeper problem of a need for relationship with God. And even if you're a believer, even if you're a Christian, if we are not aligned with that understanding and we don't see that that is the truth, then the symptoms keep popping up one right after another, right after another, right after another. And it might change over time, you know? But I need you to know, God has specifically designed you for a relationship with him and a relationship with him that he will sustain you in all things. He will sustain you in all things. First Peter 3, or excuse me, First Peter 1, 3. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He will sustain you. He has the power to sustain you. He has created you to experience this life in regular contact and regular communion and communication with him. And he has provided everything pertaining to that life and godliness. He will sustain you. When your perspective shifts to recognizing and embracing the reality that you are spirit and that your primary needs are spiritual, you live in a body, but you are spirit. When your, when your uh, perspective shifts to understand that, that you were created to live in relationship with God, that, and that is your life's purpose, to walk with him and to talk with him, to be filled with him, and you recognize that he has not just made it possible, but he has done everything to accomplish that for you. Your ability to fully rest in that relationship becomes a reality. And this thing of these symptoms of greed or worry or anxiety or lust or envy, or you name them all, this thing, they begin, those needs begin to lessen because you now have a perspective that your real needs are met in Christ and in relationship with him. And that goes for all sin, not just greed. It goes for all sin. When you begin to trust God that he has met all your needs in Christ and you begin to experience that as your reality day to day, you begin to see that you never meet your needs anyway. Try as you might. You could never do it anyway. But he's done it all. And he's done it all for you. And when you begin to understand that, that's called growth. And that's called maturity. 
Stomping out more fires on your own is not growth and maturity. That's trusting you. And that's trusting your ability, not trusting him. Trusting him is growth and maturity. You are spirit. Your primary needs are spiritual and he will sustain you if you let him. He has enough. He will sustain you. I think as I think about this School of Kingdom ministry, sure, there's, there's room for religion to creep in. There's always room. But as I think about this, this opportunity that lays in front of us, and I'm not trying to convince anybody to do it that's not ready to do it. But I think about this opportunity and it's like, this is an opportunity for intimacy with God. To experience him in ways that we've not experienced him before. It's an opportunity to step into the, his, his power. To be overcome by it. To, to move alongside him in it, right? And it's about, it's, it's, it's exercise in being close with him. Communing with him. It's an opportunity to, to step into growth and maturity um, in ways that don't involve 12-step programs to stop sinning because we're trusting the work that he wants to do in us and through us. He has enough to sustain us in that. And I think School of Kingdom Ministry is an opportunity for us to, to begin to explore that and say, we're gonna trust you, Jesus. We're gonna trust you, Spirit, in this to move powerfully in my life. We're gonna trust that you're gonna meet all my needs and that I don't need the physical stuff. And it's not that the physical stuff is bad. We were created to live on this planet and experience this as part of our experience. But that's not our primary existence and our primary experience. It's secondary. Why don't you stand up to your feet? We're gonna worship some more, but Lord Jesus, we just... We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for taking an interruption for, uh, of your teaching as you're, you're teaching your disciples, God. It's an interruption. It's a distraction. And yet you, say, you, you use it to point to the truth of your entire purpose for coming. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see stuff like this all the time. That when we, when we hear a teaching or when we see something that makes us think, oh, I got to stop it, that we move past the stop it. And we see what the bigger need might, that might be going on for us. What's the bigger issue? And then we press into the relationship because we know that is the ultimate issue, that we were created for a relationship with you and yet we're born physically outside of it. And that God, even when we're now reestablished in relationship with you as your child, we still sometimes act like we're not. And we still sometimes act like we don't have that relationship. And we don't have a perspective to see that you ultimately are caring for all of our needs. So God, I pray that you would begin to shift our perspective. You begin to turn our minds, to renew our minds, to see the truth of everything that you've accomplished and everything that you've done for us. Because we know you have enough for us. You have enough to meet our needs. 
and that those sins that are born out of, out of trying to meet other needs, God, we just pray that you would, you would help us to establish and, and, or, or recognize that you have already met all of our needs, and so there's no need to go after that stuff anymore. God, make that a reality in our lives, but do it naturally as we live in relationship with you. God, we love you. We want to give it to you. We want to give, you, give, give it all to you. Pray that this next song will be a prayer for us as we live in relationship with you. Amen.